We're struggling. We're struggling with the tube. Oh, what else is new? We're live here. We're live here. We're live here. Well, as long as we've got Audacity recording, we have the audio. And we can remain the home of professional podcasting. Or something. Something like that. That's what we should get a t-shirt. The home of professional podcasting. And in the back it says, or something. Hmm. How are you? I am just dandy. Especially if the signal will keep up and we can make sure our YouTube stays live. Our YouTubes. Yes. How are you? I'm okay. I I like the weather today. You have been struggling with some internet posting issues and stuff. I have. I apologize to anybody. Technology is driving you crazy. Who's gotten used to the pastoral prayers every day? I've been trying to post them, but they don't want to go. So we'll we'll figure it out because Rich is putting in the time to do those. There are things that you control and things that you do not, and I have learned that the hard way. There are. So many things that we do not. But one thing we always do control, our attitude. We get That's to choose true. humility or pride. That's true. It doesn't always seem like you do. Which draws us back to Acts chapter 12. How are you going to act? <laughs> See what you did there. Yeah, so... It doesn't always seem that way because it's easy to let your feelings drive and then you feel like you have no control over how you act. Absolutely. And, and, you know, I think that's one of the problems that we run into. That's probably not what we're talking with, about today. I just wanted to bring that up. Probably not. But with modern <laughs> Christians in general, I think we run into that that issue of um, letting our feelings drive. Mm-hmm. And so we've been told. I have so, never. <laughs> we, we've been told for so long about these feelings, you know. And, and I think that it kills marriages. We think that love is about feeling these affections and feeling loves. And and I, I shouldn't even say affection because that's a that's a different dynamic even than the feelings, than the emotions of it. I, I can have an affection for my wife when I'm not feeling in love. I still mm-hmm. value her and cherish her. She might really tick me off in that particular moment. More often it's the other direction. But the reality is um, when when we look at how life works when we when we focus on our feelings we become to a large extent detached from what is an ontological reality an, an objective external truth and so that's why it's so important for us as christians as christ followers we recognize that that we're not talking about it's funny. I was just actually thinking about this this morning during my devotions. They, <clears throat> we're not talking about religion, a set of actions and beliefs that we adhere to. There's there's reason beyond that, and we have over the years separated reason and religion a lot mm-hmm. of the time. So there's a reason that goes beyond religion, a rational thought, a logical thought. But there's a reality that's beyond reason. It's beyond the rational, um, materialistic. Uh, things that we can explain with our senses. And and that's where we find Christ. That's where we find the, the truth, the reality of Christianity. It's a blending of, of our rational, reasonable, logical thought and faith where we, we believe, we know for certain things that we can't actually see. So mm-hmm. there is a, there's a, an interaction of those things, of faith and reason. <clears throat> excuse me, Christianity and, and you know, historically Jewish thought as well um, is not rooted in feelings as, as much as it's rooted in, uh, in what we understand to be absolute, objective, external truth claims. 
we believe, we claim that what we see in Scripture is absolute, objective, unalterable truth. When we see God as God is revealed in Scripture, there's no wiggle room. There's no, you know, this this changes or, well, that's not really what I believe. I think God would do something different or, or whatever. <clears throat> and it's not a matter of beliefs that we choose to adhere to or, or assent to uh, so that my beliefs are essentially equal to somebody else's beliefs. We just choose different paths. That's not at all what what Christianity says. We are saying, as Israel of old said, there is one God, one truth, one reality. All else is falsehood. All else is a lie. And so when we look just to, to swing back to, to what we're going to be talking about today, you know, this uh, sermon on the God of angels and worms, as we're looking at humility and pride, it's a matter of getting on board with reality, of seeing myself from an external objective position mm -hmm. before a holy God. When I recognize who I am uh, in relationship to God, then I see myself for who I actually really am. I see myself in that external reality, that external truth uh, that reflects an actuality rather than how I want to see myself or how I see myself by comparison with other right. humans. And we've talked about that before. <clears throat> you know, people that say, well, this is my reality. This right. is my reality. Well, actually, it's not. There's one reality and you're just looking at it from an internal perspective. Right. And we can use that phraseology if, if we're all understanding that we don't actually mean reality when we right. say it. my right. truth. Right. We're not talking about truth. We're talking about how what, you feel. How Right. How I feel, how right. I perceive that right. truth. Uh, I can say it's my truth to the extent that I take hold of it. I right. take ownership right. of it. But there's there's one truth. There's right. one real. There's one fact. Just when people say there's two sides to every story. Yeah, but only one of them is true. Right. And, <laughs> and it might be that neither of them are right, true. Right, right. Uh, and, and because sometimes you know, there's 17 sides to a story. Exactly. <laughs> and can make some movies out of that. Right. But the... the uh, the law of non-contradiction is something that is, is actually rejected in some circles in our postmodern society. That two opposing claims cannot both be simultaneously true. So there may be two truths, and, and we see this a lot in our understanding of, of politics and as we observe the world around us. We may see two things. Oh, in, in history. Oh my goodness, we see this so often where we want to paint somebody uh, in this reductionist way that says... Uh, this particular person in history is either all evil or is right. all good. Right. So George Washington is a hero. Abe Lincoln is a hero. They're all good. They have no downside, no bad side. No flaws. Or, uh, wait a minute, they're all, you know, George Washington was a slave owner, therefore he's all wicked all the time. There's, you know, there's no redeeming value. But that's not how reality works for any of us. None of us are, are, are flawless. None of us are perfect. We are all, as human beings, nuanced there there's good and there's bad and it's swirling together we are simultaneously even as christ followers having been redeemed by christ set right with him uh, so that uh, we have been made children of god the bible calls us saints by declaration not saints because we've got everything figured out and the church has given us a special status not that at all but what we do see is that Scripturally, as a Christ follower, I'm simultaneously saint and sinner. In fact, the uh, pastoral prayer videos that we've been uh, doing, we've, we've gotten to Romans 7. And, and that's really 
where that kind of swirls together and creates this internal tornado for, for Saul or for Paul. Sorry, in Acts, so Saul, Paul goes back and forth. So Saul, Paul, as he's writing uh, Romans 7, is dealing with this idea that, you know, I'm who I am joyfully conforms with the will of God. That's that's what I want. I have this, this joyful concurrence with God's will in my inner person because I belong to him. And so the Holy Spirit in me desires the things of God. And everything about me, about who I truly am, desires the things of God. And yet, I still have this battle right. where I'm fighting against this person that I'm not anymore. And I don't want it, and I don't like it. I actually hate it, and I keep doing it. I keep falling into these thoughts, these dark places of the mind and the heart and the soul and, and of the hands and feet that I don't want to be. And if I don't want to be there, if that's not what I want, then I'm only confirming that the law is good and, the, and that right. what God has revealed is right. And it's also a testimony that if, I, if I'm struggling with that, if I don't want it, it's a testament, testimony that the spirit is working inside of me because unregenerate people don't do that. The sinful heart is hostile to God. So the mind controlled by my flesh does what it desires to do. And until something tells me, whoa, you don't get to do what you want to do. There is a right. Until I get to that place, then I'm not even thinking about that. Right. And until my heart and my, go back to a word we used earlier, affections change so that I desire the things of God rather than the things of human nature, of, of natural flesh. Until that desire, that affection changes, which only changes when God reaches in and changes it for me, then I I don't care. I can see it. I can know it. It doesn't bother me because I am essentially, for all intents and purposes, God, which brings us back to where we were in, in Acts chapter 12, whether we uh, whether we see ourselves as of primary importance, our own viewpoint, our own good, our own desires as we see them, or whether we see God as that primary thing. And so when, when we lift ourselves up uh, in importance, in, in our estimation of ourselves, if I think I'm better or more important than I am, then that is by definition pride in a biblical sense and that I'm, I'm wrongly seeing my myself. Right. I'm, I'm not understanding the reality of who I am before a holy God. And that changes everything about life. Couldn't it be argued, I'm just going to you know stir the pot here, couldn't it be argued that... It's good because podcasts get boring if we really agree Right, we got 30 so minutes we got, here, we got to do some stirring of pots. Um, I have to make baked beans later, so that's what I'm going to do. nothing wrong with that. Stirring lots of pots. Um, couldn't it be argued that that could just, someone could just say, well, that's just... You're, you're in your humanness, you have a conscience, and you know not sure. to do bad things because, you know, let your conscience be your guide. It, uh, people who aren't Christ followers, most of them probably aren't going to think it's okay to go murder someone. Right. And so couldn't somebody say, well, that's just my human nature. I just think I know right and wrong. Sure. The biblical worldview would say that that's less your human nature than it is the divine nature in you that you're created in the image of God. And so that conscience is God's general grace to everyone that he's put himself into each one of us of when we were conceived so that we have the ability to judge right and wrong. The problem becomes, and this is what Paul recognizes, is not that I don't know the difference, right. it's that I'm powerless to actually do anything about it. Hmm. I see what's wrong and I don't want to do that wrong and I do it anyway. 
Whereas in, in my flesh, I see that wrong and I want to do that wrong. I might not have anything pulling me against it. I can, we can pretty much universally agree that murder is bad, right? I mean, I don't know of anybody that says, other than in specific situations where right. we explain it away, if you call, that's why people get so upset if you call abortion murder, because we know instinctively that murder is wrong. We want to deny that abortion is actually that, but it is. There's no way around that. But but what we don't want to do is say, okay, here, uh, you know, I am on the wrong side of this. So we redefine things. We change things. What ends up happening is while we all know that murder is wrong, murder still happens. Mm -hmm. We -hmm. still do that, right? And there are a thousand different ways that that comes up where somebody that we might see as otherwise a good person then ends up, you know, in the throes of passion or who knows whatever else ends up murdering someone, right? These things happen. It doesn't make it good. It makes it reality. So when I'm... Then you also see people like... uh... Like a Charles Manson, sure. who for, until the day he died, you know, whenever he, whenever he was interviewed, he said if he ever got out of prison, he'd do the same things again. Right. So it seemed, based on what he said, that he had no remorse for the things that he had done, and he would continue to do that if he if given the opportunity. No remorse, but he but his it's not that he thought that murder was right. He thought he was above it. That he had the authority to be able to do these things, which is how uh, you know that's how. Um, Autocrats handle things. When you mm-hmm. see these potentates out there who murder their own people, it's not right. like they think murder is a good thing. If you kill me, I'm going to be opposed to that. You kill somebody I like, I'm going to be opposed to that. But the system of priorities in my thinking pushes that to the back. Mm. So now whatever motivates me to commit murder, for example, trumps whatever pushes me away from that. Same thing with adultery. I don't think there are a whole lot of people who would say adultery is a good thing, right? right. As, as a rule, we can right. look at adultery and say, yeah, that's that's bad, until it affects us, and then we justify you it. You try to, like you said earlier, explain it away. Right. We, I'm not happy in my marriage. Right. Or I'm not here. She doesn't her. respect right. me. You know, he doesn't care about me. Right. I, I, you know, we have a, a, a dispassionate marriage or right. whatever else. This other person appreciates me. Right. And, and so now, while we still recognize adultery is wrong for those people, uh, my situation is different. Right. So that's how the sinful nature gotcha. overcomes the, the, the conscience uh, that God by his grace puts in each of us. And that comes back to, again, what we're seeing with, with Peter and Herod in, in Acts chapter 12 is the difference between who gets to call the shots. Mm-hmm. So the, the prideful person equated throughout the scriptures with the wicked person, the ungodly puts themselves in control. So now I get to de- decide. And this is where we, we end up in a lot of ways in conflict with our American values, the, the whole don't tread on me mentality, which I, anybody who knows me knows I'm, I'm a pretty big American. You know, I, I'm a flag That was wave- my nickname in high school. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a flag-waving veteran, and, and I believe in the American way. Not to the extent that I believe everything we've ever done is right. Of course not. We have major sins, and racism is not the only one, and nor is it original with us. And it's not part of our DNA, but I'm getting off on a different tangent. But we, we run into this problem when our Americanism says, ain't nobody telling me what to do. I, well, I run my own life. I'm a grown person. I do what I want. And yet, I don't need no man. <laughs> and yet humility says, 
I still answer to God. Right. I am not the king of everything. I am not the one who gets to call the shots. And on top of that, if you're serious about following God, if you're serious about submitting to his authority, he says repeatedly in Scripture, we've seen it a lot in, in uh, Romans 13, we see it in, in 1 Peter, like chapters 2 through 5, that we're called to submit to authority, mm -hmm. even ungodly authority, even wicked authority. How, how do we do that? Well, we can only do that when we are doing it as if we're submitting to God and not to human authorities. So that, from, that doesn't from, fit well with the American right. you know, libertarian mentality of uh, I get to do whatever. Because that, start, it, that goes from a small scale to a large scale. Right. I mean, if we're going to talk about, you know, today, um, a lot of people aren't happy with the governor of Michigan. Right. Uh, or the president of the United right. States or, or whoever But I'm else. saying that from, even from a small scale, yep. she has authority over our state, you right. know, the laws in our state. So... I might not agree with everything. I might not be thrilled about everything. Right. But I'm not, you know. And there's a lot of, of I'm trying not to say gray area, but I, I, I don't have a better way right now of saying it. There can be a lot of gray area, a lot of uh, variance in working out how do, we, how do we apply that? Because human authorities are by nature human, mm -hmm. right? They're mm -hmm. inconsistent. They're imperfect. And so... There are going to be a lot of times, and I think we're seeing this right now with some of the um, some of the executive orders and restrictions related to COVID nineteen in our state in Michigan, uh, and I, I think probably across the board because anywhere right. you have human authorities, you're going to have this. Where some of the things are self contradictory, mm -hmm. so you're to comply with this area, this other area either is in contrast with that, in conflict with that, or it it it, it is nonsensical, and mm -hmm. so that. That happens with all sorts of things. We have so many laws on the books, you can't really follow them all. In fact, uh, a number of years ago, um, we I had a friend I went to high school with who happens to be a state uh, building inspector. He's kind of a big honcho guy. And he came in just as a favor, not not officially, but just looked through our building to see what we needed to do. This is in our previous location to, to get our full occupancy, to get everything you know where we needed it to be. And so he came through and gave us this, this list because um, the code book's like $300 and it's, mm. you know, this massive book. Uh, and our building, we had two different building inspectors that had changed personnel at, at some point along the way. And they're telling us different things. Well, my friend Ted came in and he gives us another whole list. I'm like, Ted, what, what, what exactly matters here? Because what you're saying doesn't match what he's saying, which doesn't match what the first guy said. Right. And he said, realistically, I, I'm telling you what, what I see. Everybody who looks at it is going to give you what's most important to them, but the law, the code, is too big for anybody to be able to inspect every part of it, to see sure, every yeah. part of it. it. You're just not going to be able to do that. Uh, and, and same thing in compliance. You're going to have a hard time being able to find all of the details, even as a professional. So this is what I do. This is what I do all the time every day. And I can tell you, I can go into almost any building in the state right now and find noncompliance if that's what you're looking for. And we run into that that kind of an issue anytime we're looking to submit to earthly authority, which we need to do, want to do. That's how we honor God. We, we do this out of reverence for Christ. But it's always going to be a give and take and, and imperfect thing it's, and tensions. You know, we've been wrestling with this as churches, for example, when we know that we're called to gather together. 
And yet in this season of the pandemic, we have been, um, I'll use the word restricted from that for love of neighbor, for, for the, the general benefit of all. And now it's been going on for a while. Well, we're starting to figure out some more things about uh, the coronavirus. We don't really understand it fully. We still don't. The science keeps shifting as, as we observe things because we just don't know. We're, we're still trying to find things out, which is why we need to all give our governing authorities a little bit of a pass. Their job is harder than yours. Right. You know, it's, it's easy for us to sit out here and take pot shots and say, well, the governor should have done this or the president should have done that. Yeah, they're sitting in the seat. You're not. It's super easy for me to sit back on a Monday morning and say, "Boy, coach made the wrong call in that play." Right, you right. know, that's not that's not that hard. When you're actually the person in the arena, as Teddy Roosevelt described it, that's where the glory is. That's where the hard part is. That's where the 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 difficulty, the pain, the suffering, and all the joy that it happens when you're actually in it. Anyway, I'm. I'm taking rabbit trails here and I don't mean to do that as we're trying to wrestle with as churches how do we balance our our obligation our responsibility to gather together that's a command of of the Lord that's the nature of the church with safety and love of neighbor submission to authority and now we're moving farther on and we're seeing it's it's observable now we have uh, um we have the, the viral pandemic that, that we're dealing with, but we also have a mental health crisis that has been, uh, I don't want to say uh, caused, but exacerbated, fostered. I think we already had this, uh, at least in the U.S., and I can't speak worldwide, but I would assume knowing the human condition that was the case. But it's been exacerbated by the isolation that comes from this. So now... And do, the unknown. Uh, and the unknown. Yeah. And so when you don't have your supports, this is why you see gyms and golf courses and any number of things opening up. Even here in Michigan where we're, we're still, you know, well, we just now got elevated to what our state's referring to as phase four, stage mm-hmm. four, where we're, we're able to open up some things. Uh, but, but even prior to making that declaration, we opened up some things because people need... For mental health reasons, aside from the economic reasons, and those are big because that affects all the rest of it, there are mental health reasons why people would say, "Hey, you know, we gotta we gotta get people moving. We gotta get people interacting. We need to have that social contact. Yes, we need physical distancing. There's a shift lately, which I think is the right shift away from the phrase social distancing toward the phrase physical distancing. Mm-hmm. We want to keep uh, a social connection." but physically stay apart. So as we're dealing with, um, you know, the, with just the, the progress of time, the, the sure, certain mental health crisis, and we see this in the church as a spiritual health crisis, this is much bigger. We have eternity at stake. Uh, the, this is a big deal. But as we see that for sure impacting people, as opposed to the possibility of catching this virus, which is physically deadly, but not eternally deadly, then you have a conundrum. You have to start wrestling with, how do we play this stuff out? Always with the idea that I need to not think I have all the answers. Wisdom does not begin and end with me. So the, the Christian principle of submission to one another 
out of reverence for Christ from Ephesians 5.21. There's a succinct statement of that, but it's throughout the Bible. To be able to recognize God is in heaven. He has appointed those in authority over me. uh, And I need to not be silent, not be foolish or blind, but I need to submit to their authority in humility as if submitting to Christ. I need to wrestle with how do I play this out and remember that ultimately I have to surrender to the Lord first and foremost. So that's the authority that matters most. And I got to wrestle that stuff out. If I put myself on the throne, and I think we talked about this, I don't know if it was a previous podcast, I know you and I had talked about it and I've talked about it with some others. If we just pick and choose, we decide, well, this, you know, this law is a stupid law. I don't have to comply with a stupid law. Well, then we're not any better than rioters or anarchists other than in by degree. So I'm not burning buildings. I'm not looting. But I'm still deciding I don't really have to submit to authority if I don't feel like it. If it doesn't make sense to me, then it, it, it becomes anarchy again. I put myself on the throne. That was the problem in the book of Judges. Everyone was doing what they considered right in their own eyes. My conscience guides me. My own... Uh, my own beliefs, my own set of values without an external standard. They were ignoring the law of God. They were ignoring the judges that God had put uh, over the people. And so now today we face those same issues. We always have. It's never really changed. Is my will, my priority, my value is going to be more important than the standard that God has given, the objective external standard that's out there? And when I do that, I'm exalting myself over God, my priorities, my purposes, my will, my desires. That becomes more important. Uh, my, my privilege, whatever that particular need is or, or perception is that I want to maintain according to what I want. And, and we can word it all kinds of different ways, but it still comes down to I'm calling the shots. I'm on the throne rather than God. Most of us wouldn't say that aloud, but that's where we start falling into exalting ourselves. And when we do that, we create idols of our own will. We create idols of our goals, our passions, our desires. We create idols of ourselves. God's in the business of smashing idols. So those who exalt themselves, he humbles. And those who humble themselves, he exalts. And so as we see a story like this where, where Peter... I love the fact that Peter's a passive player in this. So uh, we really haven't talked about the text itself, but in Acts chapter 12, um, Herod Agrippa the first, bad dude, bad family, he uh, has James, the brother of John, son of Zebedee, put to death by the sword, sees that that's politically popular. Hey, good for me, I'm going to do this. So he has Peter arrested. He's going to have him uh, tried publicly, make a big spectacle of it after the Passover. The night before that, and so Peter's here in this whole thing. Right. He says virtually nothing throughout the entire right. story. So he's just he's almost like a prop in the hands of God. So Herod Herod is doing this thing. He's looking to persecute and eradicate the church. He's looking to exalt himself. God sends an angel who shows up, fills the jail cell with light, takes Peter out, doors opening in front of them on their own right past the the four guards that are watching. So there's a a whole thing going on here. Peter doesn't even get it. He thinks he's having a dream, right? right? So he gets out. Whoa, wait a minute. Oh, I can't even believe it. Look what God did. 
So then he immediately has the the driving urge. That's like his only line in the entire play, right? So he he has this driving urge to get with God's people. He goes to Mary's house where the, the disciples are gathering and praying for him. They don't even believe it. They're like, right. nah, can't be. So You'd think they'd learn by now. Right. So he show, you'd think we would too. Right. He shows up. Finally, after banging and banging on the door, finally gets in <laughs> and, uh, and says, tell James, the brother of Jesus, who's now a leader in Jerusalem, one of the leaders of the church, tell him and the brothers what's going on, I'm out. And he goes in to another place to do different work. Herod, uh, you know, kind of shifting the scene a little bit, Herod uh, is being pursued now by the people of Tyre and Sidon because uh, there's a tension between them and uh, he's been unhappy with them. They need his, you know, they need Galilee's food source, their supplies mm-hmm. and stuff. So they're trying to appease Herod. He goes to speak with them. They are like, oh, Herod, you know, this is not a man but a God. And and he's digging that, right? So he, he, he accepts that praise and God says, uh-uh, it's not going to happen. <laughs> not in my house. Uh, and, and then... Strikes him down. But he doesn't just strike him down with some glorious angel as if it's a battle between two great warriors. Mm. He strikes him down and over the course of, of like five days of misery and, and excruciating pain, he's eaten by worms from the inside out. Yeah, that's nasty. What a humiliating way to die. So he's stripped of all dignity. He is, by this lowest life form, he is overcome. It is the hand of the Lord. God is the, is the doer of the doing. And... It's worms. <laughs> Dude, what a picture of the hideousness of our pride. And so God brings him low. And that's when we see a story like this, it's a reminder that whenever we do anything, we might think we have the authority to do it. We might think that we're justified. We, we come up with all sorts of human logic that, that says why this is okay. And we can dismiss God all we want, but he still has the final answer. And so one way or another, we will be humbled. And if we will humble ourselves instead of exalting ourselves, then that bringing us down, if I, if I put myself way up high and God brings me down, then it comes with a big slam. That'll sound good on the podcast. <laughs> I'm hoping so. If, it, if I am, you know, put myself on this lower rung on the ladder... Then when God brings me down, you can't hear that as well on the podcast. When God brings me down, it's a softer landing. And we need to recognize that importance in our lives. So those who give glory to God find freedom. Those who take glory for themselves find judgment. We will end there. As always, if you guys have any questions or comments, feel free to get a hold of us. Send us a Facebook message. Email us at somethingreal at reallifeonline.org. I guess that's it. I have no more plugs to to plug. So we will leave it there and uh, we'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening.